There you go. Well, we are going to go on in our series on breaking the chains of addiction, and we're going to get right with the review here, because we've done this every week, but it's been paying off because we're getting the review. I'm excited about that. I'm just so happy with you guys, because you've known some of the words. It's been great. And we've talked about addiction um, as we went through this, and of course, we've talked about over and over again that addictions can come in many different forms. If you're visiting with us today, we've been going through the 12 steps of AA, and you might be asking, well, I don't have an alcohol you know, addiction, so why would we be doing this from the pulpit? And as we've talked, that I believe that each one of us has addictions in one form or the other. Yes, they may not be addictions to alcohol or drugs or those things that we can look at and say, that's destroying your life. But we all have areas in our life that we need to work on. And I believe and I think that most of you have understood and have experienced this, that the 12 points of AA are biblical points. And they apply to all areas of our life whether we're struggling with anger or we're struggling with situations in our life, with relationships with our children or our spouse because of things in our own life that we need to clean up and deal with, it can apply to all areas. So we all have issues in our life and we all know people that have things that they're struggling with and hopefully we're getting some tools that we're able to help someone along in their addictions also because what might be an addiction for you or for me may not be for somebody else. And so we've all got different things that we struggle with in our life. We've talked about the, the definition of addiction, and addiction is defined as being unable to stop. Even when you realize it's destroying your life, even when you realize that there's problems that are coming from this addiction, whatever that is, you are unable to stop. You believe. Addiction is a pattern of behavior that you have developed to deal with hurts, an unhealthy way. Talked about that. People have got these addictions in their life. They've tried to fill this void in their life. They've tried to protect their heart because they've been damaged some way. And they've been most of the time when they're a child. And so they've then picked up these addictive behaviors. And unfortunately, we've talked about it's a choice because we can blame our parents. We can blame the neighbor's dog. We can blame whoever we want to. But when it comes down to it, it's our choice. We've made a choice to get into this type of behavior, and now it's led to bondage in our life. It's controlling us. And as I've said over and over again, hopefully we're getting at the root of the problem with this. And with all problems, it's what? What kind of, what, where do they go back to? The heart. All these situations in our life go back to a heart problem. And so hopefully we're dealing with the heart, not the symptoms. The drugs, the alcohol, the overeating, the overexercising, whatever you're into, the things that you struggle with, that is the result of it. That is the fruit of it. And there's a bigger root problem in your life. So now we're going to go through the review. And of course, I've had the things up here, the items that represent each one of the points. And so I have them here this morning once again. And I have the chair, that's part of it, I've switched chairs on you, but work with me. I've got the U-turn sign, I've got the rope, I've got the smiley face mask, we've got the scalpel, the mirror, checklist, and then we have a chupacabra skull here. That's, that's one of them also. Hello, how are you today? Okay, I'm not very good at that. Okay, so help me out, which one of these represents 
the first step that we have? Somebody tell me. Chupacabra. Chupacabra. <laughs> I knew that Shane couldn't handle that. I was thinking about that this morning. It's going to be fixated on the chupacabra. Actually, that's a javelina skull. It's not a chupacabra. Some of you don't even know what a chupacabra is. Look it up on the internet. It's kind of like Bigfoot's for a little friend. Okay, the first one is, somebody I think actually said it. The mirror. The mirror, and that is the word what? Admit. That is the first step when we come to these issues in our life, whether it's problems in our family, problems, you know, with my alcohol addiction, whatever it is that we have to admit. And we're recognizing our brokenness. It's coming to the point where you say, I don't have anything else to add. I am totally blown out. I'm shot. I am frustrated. I realize this is destroying my life. And so you come to the point that we admit that we are powerless over our problems and our life has become unmanageable in some way. Now, what that looks like for one person is different for another. So we've got to admit, we've got the mirror. The second one is what? The chair, and that is the word what? Believe. We start believing and accepting in God. We get to the point where we're totally broken, we're shot, we don't know what to do, and then the second step is that we start to realize that there is a power higher than ourselves. We cannot do it alone. We need some help. And it's not through Oprah. It's not through Dr. Phil. It's not even through some type of good Christian counselor. It has to be based on the Lord. And that is the chair. And that is that you have to believe that you're just going to sit down and rest, trust in that chair. And you're believing that God has the means and the desire to help you. Because I hear people say that constantly. Well, I believe that there is a God. Maybe I believe in this Jesus thing, but he doesn't care about me. Why would he care about me, especially if he knows the things that I have been involved with? And that is simply not true. So we've got first admit, we've got believe, and then the third one is the rope, and that is release. And that is letting go and letting God. Easier said than done. But once we believe that God is real, that we believe that he cares about us, we let go of the rope of our lives that we've been fighting all of our lives sometimes because we want to be in control. We let go and say, God, you need to be in control of my life. And we turn over our lives on our will to him, which leads us to the fourth step, which is, the, what is it? The clipboard. And that is inventory. We have then came to a point in our life where we do an honest self-examination of my life. We sit down and we say, okay, I need to clean out this junk closet, so to speak, of my life. There's some good things, there's some bad things in my life, and I don't know sometimes the difference between the two, but I know there's some things in my life that I need to get rid of. And so we do this inventory of our lives, and we sit down and we say, this is the good pile, this is the bad pile. And I'm calling this bad pile what it is. It's junk. I don't need it in my life. I need to start to get rid of it. And so we're doing this moral inventory of ourselves. The next step is five, which is the mask, which is to conf I thought maybe she was cheating having them up there for you. Which is confess. And that is that once we've done the inventory, that we need to take off this mask that we wear, 
And we need to be honest with somebody else, somebody that we're accountable to, somebody that we trust, and we say, this is my garbage pile here. This is the stuff I need to deal with in my life. Can you help me deal with it? Can you hold me accountable that I'm going to actually get rid of this garbage? Because I'm not going to just shove it back in my closet and pretend like it's not there. I need to actually start to deal with it. And I need some help doing that. Which leads us to step number six, which is turn. We need to start turning the opposite direction. Once we realize that we have this junk pile, we have to make the decision in our lives that we are going to turn from whatever it is in our life. The biblical word is repent. That means that we recognize it's an issue and that we are going to turn from it. We are agreeing with God, not with Oprah, not with Dr. Phil, but with God's word, we're going to turn and start going the opposite direction in our life. Which leads us to last week, which was the scalpel. Actually, it wasn't last week, it was the week before. And that is the scalpel. And that means that we're asking God to remove this in my life. We're turning over the scalpel to him. We're trusting that he is the good surgeon and that we are saying, God, I can't, I can't take this out of me. It's as crazy as I said last time that you're trying to do major surgery on you to remove cancer. And you're saying, I'm going to save a little money. I'm going to do it at home. So I'm going to, you know, start to cut out this cancer. And you, so you get your... That's how crazy it is. Now, that's something I would try at home. Don't try that. I'm not professional. But if you want me to work on you, I will do that. Uh. And we say, God, I want you to start to remove this in my life. And the chupacabra skull, that's just to throw you off. Okay. Yeah, you thought that was today. Today is actually list. Step number eight is list. And to represent that, I know it's not as fun as the chupacabra skull, but the list is just a notepad. We had the inventory. We're going to talk about that. We're going to go back to that today. The inventory of stuff in my life that I need to deal with. And today is going to be the list. We're listing something. And today is owning the damage that I have done. Today we're going to talk about owning the damage that I have done with this thing that I struggle with in my life, whatever that is. Okay, I'm going to share this joke with you. I heard this week, this is a deer hunting joke. And deer hunting is next weekend, rifle season starts. So just to kind of get us in the mood. I know you're running, get in the mood for that. So it just probably doesn't tie into anything here, but I'm just going to share it anyway. <laughs> just bear with me. I laughed about this. So there's this guy and he was all excited about deer hunting season and so the morning came and he got up early and he came down he flipped on the lights his wife was sitting at the kitchen table and she had all the camo on everything he said what are you doing and she said well i'm gonna go deer hunting with you and he said you've never gone deer hunting with me and she said well i know it's my first year i thought we could do this together you know go deer hunting and he's thinking you don't know what you're doing are you just gonna go along and she said no i'm gonna go shoot a deer He's like, all right. So they went out there, and as they were driving out there, he thought, what am I going to do with this woman to keep her out of my air? She's ruining my whole day. So he takes her out there, and he has this blind, and he said, well, I'll put you in this blind, and here's the deal. You sit there, wait for a deer to go by, you shoot it, and if you shoot it, I'll hear your shot, and I'll come, and I'll help you. He's thinking, she's never shot a deer. She's not going to get anything shot. I don't have to worry about it. She'll be out of my hair. So he goes in his blind, he's enjoying the morning. All of a sudden, bang, here's a shot. He's like, what? That came from over in that direction. I think she got something. 
So we got, what is she doing? So we got out of his deer blind. He starts walking over, thinking, maybe she shot a big buck. This is exciting. So the more he started getting closer, he heard this bang. He heard another shot. He thought, what? Maybe she didn't get it down. Bang, another shot. Then he started hearing his wife screaming, you get away from my deer. That's my deer. You get away from my deer. So he started running, and he ran up there, and he ran up there, and his wife was yelling at this guy, and there was this cowboy standing there with his hands up. And she had her gun pointed right at him and said, you stay away from my deer. And he says, ma'am, I'll stay away from your deer, but can I get my saddle off of him? <laughs> so let's tie that in. This Owning the damage I have done, okay? It worked out. It worked out good. Uh, I laugh because I'm taking my two daughters with me deer hunting. This is our, our second year. We've never shot horses yet, but it's a whole new deer season. Yeah, first time. So this week we're going to look at one verse, and Jesus is speaking in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. And this is step 8. Made a list of all persons that we have harmed. And became willing to make amends to them all. This is step 8, and this is a tough one here. We're going to make a list. That's what this is representing here, and maybe you need a lot of paper. I don't know. We're going to make a list of people that we have hurt and damaged in some way. And you may be asking as you look at this step, well, what is the word harmed here? And that is that we have caused physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual damage to other people. Somewhere along the line that we have damaged somebody else. And I was listing those out this week, and the list can go on and on and on. I just shortened it up and making it pretty general here. But we get to the point where the thing that we have struggled with in our life, when we've actually admitted it, when we've given it to God, when we've now you know, turned from it in our lives and we've asked God to remove it, we now have to deal with other people and the damage that we have done because of this struggle in our life. That's part of this process. And you may be asking, well, what's, what's really amends here? What are we talking about when we use the word amends? Amends, in a general definition, means repairing the damage of the past. We're repairing in some way, some form of the damage that we have caused in the past. And that can be simple as a sincere apology or as complex as restitution for physical or financial liability. And when I say that we are giving an apology, underline sincere here, that we're giving a sincere apology, not just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry about that. We actually give a heartfelt apology to somebody else that we've hurt. And the thing that we need to understand is for now, we're not worried about confronting this person. We're not talking to this person about this. We're not worried about that. We're just writing down, making a list of people that we need to make things right with. Because you're willing. That's this step here. 
that you're willing at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that you are going to. We're going to talk about this next week. Doesn't mean that you are going to. Doesn't even mean that's really going to benefit the other person. It might actually hurt them more. <laughs> at least you had the cheer song. You know, when we were coming up for a name for the church, I wanted to call it like Cheers, you know, because the theme song where everybody knows your name, they're glad you came. They got vetoed down real quick. But hopefully here that we're going to start to deal with this stuff and we're going to start to make some amends in our life. Which leads us to the 12th step here of being totally and completely insane. If you want to be totally and completely insane, here's step number eight. Made a list of anyone who has ever harmed us and became willing to go to any length to get even with them all. Okay? If you want to be on that side of it, go for it. There's a step to being totally insane. So when it comes to owning the damage that I have done, I want us to look at just one verse that Jesus speaks about in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. And he says to the people, Do to others as you would have them do to you. Very simple verse there. Now, this is in the context of persecution when your enemies are doing something to you. And Jesus says, You know what, people? When people are treating you bad, you need to remember this. Treat them as like that you would like to be treated. When it comes to just everyday life in that context, treat them as you would want to be treated. It's not that hard. It's hard to live out. And this is a very biblical principle. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 22, God gives the Mosaic Law. Part of that is how you're going to deal with your brother. He tells the Israelites, you guys got to live together, you've got to work together, and I'm giving you some rules. He lays them out, and they're pretty complex. I'm going to sum them up, but he's saying, if you borrow somebody else's animal, or if you're taking care of somebody else's animal, and that animal dies, you owe them another animal. Unless it was by accident, or that they were going to die. So Bill and Julie, we might owe you a rabbit, I, I'm thinking this week. We took care of Bill and Julie's rabbit had died last summer. If you borrow a tool from somebody and then you break that tool, God says you need to replace that tool of equal value or better. Take care of the tool that you broke if you're going to borrow it. It's the idea that you're going to treat others as you would want to be treated. And really, it's the one thing that sets us apart as far as Christianity from all other religions. Because we know it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship with Christ. And Christ says, if you want to be completely different from the world, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to treat other people as you would want to be treated. And I think Jesus knew some things here. When he's saying this in the context of persecution and dealing with people on a daily basis, Jesus knew that only the Lord is in full possession of the facts. He alone has the ability to judge fairly, only him. We are partial. He is not. And so we look at things from one point of view, and we think we are being wronged. We think that we're going to lock our heels in. We are going to seek revenge, maybe, on this person. And he says, you need to go ahead and treat them as you would want to be treated. 
I believe that Jesus also knew that it helps us avoid this self-destructive behavior. When someone has wronged you, when something has happened in your life, what good does it do to seek revenge and try to destroy this person, hold on to bitterness? Most of the time, they don't even know that sometimes that they offended you. And now you're holding on to this bitterness in your life because you're going to get even with them. They don't even know, and it's destroying you from the inside. This anger, this bitterness. I believe that Jesus also knew that God was able to cause all things to work together for our good. So even when somebody maybe has wronged us, God can use that for good in our lives. And we've talked about that before. But I believe, bottom line there, Jesus knew that the one who does this will be blessed. If you're treating others as you want to be treated, you will be blessed by that in your life. So going on, this is the work of step eight. This is what step eight is accomplishing in our life. It's causing us to grow up. It's causing us to mature in our lives. For those of you who have raised multiple kids, you know what I'm going to speak about here. Road trips, aren't they fun? I'm being very sarcastic. Especially if you have three that are pretty much the same age and you have like a car the size of a shoebox and you put them in the back. You know what I'm talking about because they're all in the back seat and all of a sudden you'll turn around and it's like WWF wrestling back there. You know, they got like a finger and an eye. And you're like, what in the world are you doing back there? Quit it. What? Why? Why are you killing your sister back there? Give her face back to her. Why? I did that because she hit me. Well, I hit you because your knee touched me. I, I, you breathed on me. Well, you looked at me. <laughs> These are actual conversations we've had. I don't care who breathed on the other person. Don't breathe in their direction. Everybody quit breathing. <laughs> I got a little muffles from the, you know, breathing to... So nobody's breathing the other person's direction. Breathe on me. Spit on me. <laughs> it's getting less, though, as they're maturing and getting older. At least they hide it better. I don't know. You know, somebody just gets punched in the stomach and they just take it back there. I don't know. But part of maturing is owning up to what you've been involved in. And it's taking responsibility for the actions when we have committed a wrong in some way. But it's also beginning the process of releasing the need to blame other people for our misfortune and accepting full responsibility. That is growing up. That is maturing. And unfortunately, we live in a world where people don't want to own up to the things they've done wrong. Perfect example this week. Okay, last Saturday, Stacy um, shopping her wedding band, the diamond on it, the prong, it got bent back somehow. She dropped it off at the jeweler to get it fixed. They said, no big deal, it's just a routine deal. Well, they called this week and left a message on her phone, and a lady said this, uh, yes, this is so-and-so from so-and-so place, and she said, we're just informing you that your diamond is cracked. 
might want to give us a phone call. How do you crack a diamond? The hardest known material on the face of the planet, and they have now cracked it. So anyway, um, we called them back, and Stacy talked to the lady, and then I called back and talked to the guy that was actually working on it. And he said, it was probably maybe like that when it came in. No, it was not. Because why? Because he did not want to take ownership of it. He did not want to be the one, when he was working on it, that cracked the diamond. Well, it worked out. Uh, they were willing to replace it. And uh, we've got, actually got it back, so it worked out. But the guy was still kind of holding on to the story that he did not do it. Uh, when I talked to the lady when we went and picked up the other one, she said, oh yeah, he did it. That's why we have to replace it, because he was putting it back in, and he tightened it too tight, and he, he cracked it. I was like, okay, it would have been nice if he would have took ownership of that, but that's the way that things work, and we live in a world where people don't want to take ownership. We don't want to have to pay any type of restitution. You don't want to have to replace a diamond. And just like that in our own life, we don't want to make restitution. We want to believe, I think maybe partly, that in his mind, he wanted to believe that maybe it was like that when it came in. Maybe. Maybe it was like that. Because it gets us off the hook. But when it comes to these areas in our life, we have to recognize that our actions have impacted others, and we have to become accountable for our actions. And if we do that, this is part of the work here. We're going to be less likely to repeat them in our lives. If we realize, if we've actually meditated on it, that we've actually caused people this type of damage in their life, maybe we won't be so quick to get into it. My mother, being a lifelong drug addict, alcoholic, this is what she would say. I'm only hurting myself. I don't see what the big deal is. I'm only hurting myself, and I, I'm, I'm allowed to do that. You truly believe that you're only hurting yourself. She did. She was hurting everyone around her also. But that was her excuse. She pulled that card out. I'm only hurting myself. I can do whatever I want to. If I want to destroy myself, that's my business. And you're destroying us with you. And if we can get to the point, this, whatever it is in my life, is affecting other people, then maybe we won't be so quick to do it. This is the other good work of step eight. It's healing. We're growing up, but hopefully it's healing our past with others. And if we're healing our past with others, then God can transform us in the present. And that's what we're about. We're living in this transformed life. We're changing. But that's only going to happen if we start to deal with some of these broken relationships in our life. Because as we've talked about, and you know it from your own life, you know it from people in your family that you're close to, these broken relationships that we have in our life, usually that's what's causing these problems. It's a cycle. You have these broken relationships with your parents or whatever the situation is when you're very young. You hold bitterness. You're angry towards them. You become an adult. You're not going to give them an inch. You're just going to, you want revenge. You want to be just bitter towards them. And it's destroying you in the process. And recovery, whatever that recovery looks like in our life, is having 
right relationships. It's righting relationships that have gone wrong. So this is how we're preparing for step eight here. This is the big one, and it's humility. And that is setting aside pride, blaming, excuses, justifying, however you want to say it. When I'm sitting down and I'm making a list of people that I have wronged, I'm not going to do any of these things. Because this is a defensive mechanism at this point. We start to blame other people because we say, well, yeah, that, okay, I've done that to them, and I, I'll take ownership of that, but they've done this to me. They've treated me this way. So we're justifying it. We're not doing that in this step. We're not blaming somebody else for our behavior. And that means that we need to take time to reflect and be as thorough as possible. And we need to be honest with ourselves about how our actions have caused others emotional, financial, physical, whatever damage in their life. And that's a tough one to do. Because this is what our pride is going to do at this point. We need to tell our pride no because it's going to start screaming to us when we start to go through this because it doesn't want us to get things right. It wants us to hold our own. It's going to say something like this. Don't look back. Just forget about those people. Forget about you know, the wrongs that you have done to them. What could good possibly come from going back into the past? Don't go back there. You may need to go back there because you've got to deal with it for the healing that needs to happen in your life. And of course, as I said, you're going to say to yourself, what about all the wrongs that they did? I mean, they treated me this way and they've never tried to make one amends towards me, so why should I try to do with them? The fact is that you need this in your life. So as you start preparing for step eight, I'll tell you, once you start to think about the people that you've harmed by your actions, it becomes overwhelming. Especially if you think that you might have to start to make some type of restitution, whatever that looks like in your life. Because God can open up the floodgates of your mind and then you start to realize, okay, this is the area in my life. And so this is where we bring in our inventory. And we say, this is what I'm struggling with, this is the stuff in my life, I've inventoried that, I admit it, I'm asking God to remove it, but that inventory, those things now are affecting how I've dealt with other people. And it's like the guy who tossed out a cigarette just carelessly into a forest and then he burns the entire forest down. And he doesn't realize until after what he has done. And so you look back in your life and you say, man, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think how that was causing this person damage. And as you walked on in your life and went on, it's created chaos. It's damaged someone. And when you go back and you say, I burnt that whole forest down? Yes. You have a choice at that point. Well, I don't, how are you going to know that was my cigarette that did that? That could have been anybody's cigarette. Maybe it just needed to be burnt down anyway. Or you can take ownership of it and say, yeah, I did that. I can't believe the result of it, but I did that. And in order to feel, um, avoid feeling completely just overwhelmed when you start to do this, 
I would suggest doing this in categories rather than names. That might be family, friends, coworkers, whatever those categories are, and say, I know in my family there are some issues. I can see them. I can see the damage in their life, and so what is my role in that? And then have God bring up those people's names in your life and go through that. So to end with, I want to say this. As we're going through this, one of the biblical principles is to always keep a good conscience, a clear conscience, as God's word says. And so when I'm owning up to the damage I've done, it's as Paul says in Acts 24, 16, in the context here, we don't have a lot of time, we ran out of time. Paul is going through a trial right here, a false trial, trumped up charges because they want him to shut him up because he's sharing the gospel. At his trial, he says this. He says, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God, man. He says, you know what, you can say all this stuff about me, you're just going to do whatever you want to in this trial because it's a joke, but this is what I know. Paul says, I have always kept a clear conscience between God and myself, and when I can, the best of my ability between myself and other people. And so these are the steps to keeping a clear conscience. I've shared them before, but it's been a number of years ago. The first step is to name it, and that's what we're talking about here today. This step requires that we identify our role in the problem. You just got to be straight up with yourself and say, look, yeah, I've been involved in this. I have been involved in this damage in your life. This has been my role in it. And hopefully we've got to that point through these steps of admitting and we've done the inventory. We've taken off this mask and now we're humble enough that we're willing to deal with it and say, I've been a part of this. And identifying our role helps us to look at the situation more clearly, and we're not going to waste any other time blaming somebody else for their actions at this point. That's not going to do anything good. So we're going to name it. The second thing is we're going to claim it. And this step asks that we take responsibility for our actions. Once we claim it, it no longer has control over us. We say, this is what I've been involved with. I've done it. And hopefully I'm not going to continue it on in my life. Because I've realized what damage is done to people that I care about that are the closest to me. And I'm going to use that knowledge in future situations. And that leads us to the third step. First, we're going to name it. Second thing, we're going to claim it. The third thing is we're going to let it go. This is where I feel like the 12 steps of AA kind of lets people down here in this step. Because this step so much is not so much for other people. This step is for us. Because how are you ever really going to pay somebody back for a childhood that you took from them? How was my mother ever going to pay me back for a complete childhood? You cannot do it. What are you going to give me, a million dollars? Two million? Five hundred thousand? A pogo stick? What are you going to do? How are you going to make this right? Thing is, she couldn't make it right. That's where I, you know, I have to come in and forgive her, living with the consequences of somebody else's sin. But this step is for us. And this step can be the most difficult, especially when we realize the consequences of our actions. And this letting go means letting go of the negative feelings associated with the bad choices, the shame, the disappointment, the anger, the regret that we carry ourselves. Because once you're face to face with it and you realize this is what I've been involved with, you have to forgive yourself. 
you have to say, you know what? Yeah, I, I messed up big time. And I realize it was me. I'm, I'm claiming it. It was my responsibility. I did this. And I will try to make restitution where possible. I will give an apology. But I need to forgive myself. And it's letting go of the negative feelings because we're trying to free ourselves and then we can start to go on and start to live our life, whatever that is that God has for us. So it comes down to really this choice that we have. The truth is that you cannot change other people. Hopefully we understand that. We cannot change our spouse, we cannot change our children, we cannot change somebody else. You can change how you respond and treat other people, though. You cannot change how that they're going to respond to you if you try to make amends. And if you've hurt them bad enough, they're not going to be wanting to see you. They're not going to want to deal with it. Even if it's kids that you maybe see every day as adult kids or talk to on the phone and everything seems to be fine, you try to talk to them and make amends, they're going to say, okay, whatever, I don't want to talk about it. Pass the past because they have a wall up towards you because of what you've done. You're lucky that probably most of the time the things we've been involved with that they're even talking to you at all. You cannot change other people. You can only change you. You can only change and control how you treat other people. That's it. I tell my girls this almost weekly. They come home and they say, this girl did this and this girl did this. Man, there's a lot of girl drama. You can only control yourself. You cannot control that other person and how you respond to them. That's it. So this is a heart condition here. This is not the magical sprinkle dust prayer here. This is the heart condition behind it. And it's saying, Lord, I ask your help in making my list of all those that I have harmed. I will take responsibility for my mistakes and will be forgiving to others as you are forgiving to me. Grant me the willingness to begin my restitution. So once again, it's not making restitution here. This is just making the list. To help us with this, I have put together just an amends sheet. It's in the back. It's on the back table there. And it's got some different categories. It's got the person's name. It's got the person's relationship. My wrongdoing, effects on others, and the effects on me. I put some examples there, and the examples could go on and on. If you have a wife, Joanne there, I'd try to make sure I didn't pick anybody's name here in the congregation, because they'd be like, you used my name! My wrongdoing is anger and insults, effects on others, fear and anger, effects on me, guilt and shame. So if we need more copies, I think we got 20, 30, 20 of them back there, we can get you more copies. So this is the question I leave you with today. We're talking about lists here. I'm going to talk about another list. If someone you know was making a list of people who had hurt them and that had never made things right, would you be on that list? If somebody else had to sit down and they had to write a list of people that had hurt them, would you be on that list? And so that might bring some people to mind when you're working on your list. Because, once again, I want to say it, it's not about the restitution at this point. It's about me taking ownership of what I've done, claiming it, 
and then letting go of it and forgiving myself so I can start to move on. Let's close the word of prayer. Lord, you know us as people that uh, we don't like to admit when we've screwed up and we have hurt somebody, we've damaged something, we have done something wrong because most of the time we're selfish and we don't want to have to pay the restitution, whatever that looks like. We want to blame the other person. We want to blame it's always been like that. We want to justify it. We want to just completely gloss over a lot of times. But the truth is that uh, most of the time we've been involved with it, whatever that damage is. And so, Lord, I pray that we would start to take ownership of that. And I pray that uh, in this step that we would start to take ownership of it so we don't continue it on in our lives when we're affecting other people, but I pray that we would take ownership of it so that we would start to claim it and then we would start to let go of it and we would start to forgive ourselves so we can move on also in our lives. And Lord, a lot of times this is about healing some type of relationship. And Lord, as we sit here this morning, there are people that you know that are sitting here that have broken relationships with whatever person that is in their life. I pray that they would look at their lives and say, what, what has been my role in it? And, uh, and maybe they haven't had anything to do with it. Maybe it's been on the other side. But as we've talked here, and as your word says, that we want to treat other people as we would want to be treated. And as Christians, Lord, I pray that we would make that front and center in our life. And we don't always do it perfectly, but I pray that when we screw up and we don't do that, that we would just admit it and that we would just make amends and we would continue to move on. Lord, thank you for forgiving us through your son and the work that he did on the cross. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.